Great. So I don't know about you, but I love watching Wimbledon. Um, I'm not a massive tennis fan for most of the year, uh, but for these two weeks every year, there's nothing that is more exciting for me. All the world's greatest tennis players come right here onto our doorstep in southwest London uh, for the fortnight of the ultimate sporting drama. And if there's one thing I've learned about tennis through watching Wimbledon, it's about the importance of the serve. Um, the serve sets up the plate for each point. A fast serve out wide can send the opponent on the back foot. A spinning serve down the middle, and uh, it can bounce just out of their reach for an ace. But a slow serve can put the opponent in control. Some of you will have seen uh, Sam Quarry beat Andy Murray earlier this week. Um, very sad match. But uh, Quarry's serve was unquestionable. It was ferocious. It was powerful. He did an amazing job there. And there are many qualities of a good serve. Two of them are power and accuracy. The very best serves have both, but they are few and far between. Uh, but from my very limited experience of trying to play tennis, um, that's not easy. Um, too much power and the accuracy is lost. Too much accuracy and it's not strong enough to, to start. Or maybe that's just me not being very good at serving. So this morning, we're going to address that question of our service to God. Um, now, our service to God is not about tennis balls um, or anything like that, but about worship. Um, with service in tennis, it's about power versus accuracy. And uh, with service of God, it's about worship of God versus worship of other things. So can we consistently balance worshipping two things equally, giving them both our all? Can we worship both earthly things and heavenly things? Can we worship both God in our jobs, or God in our families, or God in our money? Is that the right way to live, worshipping more than just God? To put it bluntly, no. No, it's not. Um, so just as we start again, I've got a test of your Bible knowledge. Does any, can anyone tell me what the first of the Ten Commandments is? Do you want to shout it out? I couldn't hear any of that. <laughs> bit louder? Uh, of the Ten Commandments, that, isn't there a, no, okay, maybe I've got that wrong, apologies. So th what I was going for was, you shall have no other gods before me, um, which happens in Exodus uh, chapter 20, verse 3. That's the first thing that the Lord tells Moses to do. Uh, not, do not murder, not, do not commit adultery, not, do not um, commit theft, not uh, honor your mother and father. It is uh, that he needs to be the ultimate priority, not anything else. Nothing should come before him in our thoughts, in our to-do list. So our question today is who are you serving? What are you actually serving? Are you serving God on a Sunday, but then your job on a Monday morning, or your money on a Friday night, or your family on a Saturday? Is your service in the right place? And this is the challenge that faced Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in our passage today. They are exiles living in the land of Babylon under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Babylon was a pagan land uh, where many gods were worshipped. And so when King Nebuchadnezzar creates his own idol, um, it was just widely accepted in that land. That was an okay thing there. And Nebuchadnezzar demands that all people in Babylon bow down and worship this idol, or they would be thrown into this blazing furnace. 
we're not really sure what the furnace would have originally been used for, um, but the way it's described suggests that it was just a commonplace industrial tool. Um, whatever it was used for, with a name like the blazing furnace, it, we can be sure it was not the kind of thing you wanted to be thrown into. So every single person in Babylon was required to bow down and worship this idol. Whether originally they were Babylonian or whether they were from uh, a Jewish background like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For the pagan communities in Babylon, it's not a problem. It was just another god, another idol that they needed to worship. But for the Jewish exiles, this was an issue, and a pretty big issue at that. Knowing that God had commanded them to have no other gods, how could they bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar's idol? Their challenge was about exclusivity. God requires exclusive worship. It must all go to God and to no one else, regardless of the consequences, even with a threat like being thrown into the blazing furnace. So as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived and worked in Babylon, they were being required to do as the king told, said and to worship that idol. Um, I just want to draw the distinction here between having a job and worshipping that job, um, because they're slightly different, and uh, we, we do need to have jobs. That is, we need to live, we need to get money, um, but we don't need to worship those jobs. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all worked for King Nebuchadnezzar. Under him, they held high-flying positions. At the end of chapter 2, they are promoted to administrators over the province of Babylon, which means they had a lot of authority and influence over that land. But whilst having these jobs, they knew that they could not worship the king or worship the king's idol. They would not let their worship stray from God to their job or to their earthly boss, whatever the cost may be. So just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we too need to be exclusive in our worship of God. Whilst working in the world, um, we have the challenge not to be of the world. But under the high pressure of jobs and the busyness of life, this seems like an unreasonable challenge. The world tells us to be devoted to our jobs, to our family. And don't get me wrong, those things are really important. We do need to be devoted to our families. We do need to do well in our jobs. But is our main priority the priority of serving the Lord Jesus in all we do? Are we seeking that job promotion for our own earthly gains or for the gains of his kingdom here on earth? When we live exclusively for God, we will live lives that are distinct. It will seem countercultural, perhaps offensively so. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego offended Nebuchadnezzar and other Babylonians because of how they chose not to worship his idol, how they chose to live a separate life. If you look at verse 8, it's the um, Babylonian astrologers, who are also known as the Chaldeans, um, who were offended, and they play snitch to Nebuchadnezzar and go and tell tales uh, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's why they stood out, uh, distinct from the society around them, because they chose to only serve God and God alone. So that leads to the question, how can we be exclusive to God in our service, in our worship? There are two practical ways that we can learn uh, from this passage, um, from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think the first is through our preparation. Last week, uh, Jago talked about how we should be early in living distinct lives. 
because that will help us to live distinct lives in the future. The sooner that we choose to stand up for God in the little things now, the more effectively we will do so in the bigger things in the future. In chapter one, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego dared to be distinct early in their lives uh, through not eating the king's food. We heard that last week uh, when J.G. was speaking. And that then prepared them for the challenges they faced later in their life, like the one we're seeing today, about worshipping this image of gold, and one that we'll see next week as well when Daniel is faced with the lion's den. If we prepare ourselves now in the small things, that provides us with a platform from which it'll be easier to be distinct later in our lives. Our future service will be more fruitful through our preparation now. So an example of this um, is how foreign languages are learnt nowadays. So a lot of the time, they're normally learnt at school from a very early age. Um, many studies show that this is the best way to learn a language. Um, it's much easier for children to learn a new language than it is adults. So let's say you're learning Spanish. Um, by teaching sp a child to speak Spanish throughout their childhood, uh, they are being prepared to speak it well in the future. Compare that to me going to the airport today and picking up a phrase book on my way out to Spain. The person who had been learning Spanish from an early age will be so much better prepared than I will be flapping about with a phrase book as I wander around Barcelona or wherever I may be going. I'm not. I'm just... <laughs> so um, the better our preparation is now, the more fruitful our service will be later. So we can be exclusive to God in our service through preparation and also through obedience. Obedience is a word that has a lot of negative connotations nowadays. Um, our society tells us that we need to be independent, to rule our own lives, not to be ruled by others, especially not through ancient laws. But obedience is a good thing. Obedience brings a freedom that we can't access through independence. Obedience is a choice, to obey or not to obey. That may be the question. Obedience to God means submitting to God, submitting to his love, his compassion, his joy, his ways. And that submission leads to a freedom for us now. Not a freedom to do anything that we want to, like going off and living an extravagant life in Barcelona, but a freedom to live without the chains and burdens that hold us captive in this world, like worry, like fear, like death. Freedom from the pressure at work or the pressure of family or the pressure of money. Freedom because we know that God is truly sovereign over us, that he is working for our good all the time, even when life is difficult. If we are obedient, we release ourselves from these pressures and their consequences, for we know God is truly in control. In our passage today, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a choice of who to obey. Nebuchadnezzar? or God, their earthly boss, or their heavenly boss. If they had been obedient to Nebuchadnezzar and worshipped his idol, they wouldn't have been thrown into the blazing furnace. They would have been freed from that threat, but they would have broken God's commandment about uh, idol worship. But instead, they chose to be obedient to God. They chose not to worship the idol. Serving God requires that obedience. We cannot truly serve him if we are not doing what he asks of us. 
we will need courage in our obedience. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego needed courage because they knew uh, the consequence they faced was certain death in that blazing furnace. Now, in London, it's unlikely that we're going to be thrown into a blazing furnace because of our obedience to God. But it may put a strain on our job security or on our relationships with family and friends or with our money. So how can we consider serving God exclusively if those things could be at risk? Because there is hope. There is a certain hope. Uh, We have the greatest hope of all, our hope in Jesus Christ, God's Son, who laid down his life for us with his overwhelming, his never-ending, his reckless love. He will never leave nor forsake us. So because of that, we can be encouraged. Not encouraged to risk our relationship with God, but encouraged to depend on it in all that we do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego depended on God. They were prepared to lay down their lives in service for him. Uh, Verses 17 and 18, they speak to Nebuchadnezzar, and they say, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They knew that this was well out of their control, but it was in God's hand. Whatever he wanted to do would happen. And what happened? God walked with them in the fire. He unbound them, he kept them from harm, and he brought them safely out of the furnace. Let's just quickly read verses 24 to 27 again. Then then King Nebuchadnezzar, leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Now, we don't know who that fourth person in the fire was. Nebuchadnezzar says that it looks like a son of the gods, and later on he says that it was an angel sent by God. Some theologians claim that it was the uh, pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity, otherwise known as Jesus. Um, We don't need to be exactly sure who it was. It doesn't matter, necessarily. All we know is that it definitely was a representation of God, of God's presence with his faithful servants in the toughest trial of their lives. He was in control of the situation. He was for them. He was with them. And he is for us today, too. He will always be for us. He will always be with us. Even when we feel out of control, we can rest in the knowledge that his eyes will always be on us. So be encouraged, for God is always with us. He has shown us that he is a sovereign God. 
He will walk with us through the fiery furnaces in our lives. He will never leave. He will never forsake us. Instead, he gave his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to be forsaken for us. Jesus also lived a distinct life exclusively for his father. And his distinct life changed lives then when he was alive. It's changed millions of lives since then. And it will change millions of lives in the future. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived distinct lives as well. And it changed those around them. And the most notable of that is King Nebuchadnezzar. The king acknowledges, once they come out of the fire, who God really is for the first time. He turns to praise of the Most High God. Their decision to trust in and exclusively worship God had at first offended the king, but it eventually led to the surrender of King Nebuchadnezzar to God. But he wasn't completely changed there and then. Um, In the next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar turns back to his selfish ways, to his sinful ways. But what God had done there in that moment was that he had planted a seed in the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A seed of who he is like, a seed of what he can do for them. And that seed grew throughout Nebuchadnezzar's life, eventually leading to a complete surrender to God of exclusive worship. So be encouraged that living our distinct lives changes others. Just like he used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God can and will use us to change those around us. When we obey and live lives that are exclusive for God, we will stand out. And this will attract the attention of others, of people who don't yet believe. And God will come and he will plant seeds in their hearts too. I don't know if any of you were at the evening service last week, but we had a guest preacher coming in from one of our mission partners. He's called Onisfor Manorakiza. Um, He came from the Global Lakes Outreach, which is run by Simon Gillibay um, down in Africa. And Onisfor was preaching on the topic of suffering for doing good, perhaps something that may happen when we are exclusive to God in our workplaces or in our family or with our money. And Onesphore told a story about how living a distinct life for Jesus changed the lives of others, the lives of others. Um, It happened to a group of people on one of their summer outreach camps um, in Burundi a few years ago. This group had been uh, doing some outreach evangelistic in a local market. And um, while they were doing that, they were arrested for holding an unauthorized meeting in the public place. And they were all thrown into prison. But there, when they were living in prison, uh, they continued to live distinctly for Jesus. And they told all the other inmates and all the prison officers about who Jesus is, about what he can do for them. And all of them, everyone in the prison, honest for said, became believers. And it wasn't just that. The news spread out of the prison into the local communities. And local people brought uh, ill people, people who were possessed with demons, to, um, to the prison to be prayed for. And from there, more people in the village came to know Jesus. The distinct lives that they lived that first got them in trouble, that offended others, then changed everyone's lives in the future. Now, unlike Honest Four, we may not always see the fruit um, of our distinct lives immediately. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't changed immediately, but God had begun to work in his heart. We must trust that God is always working, because that is what he does. 
He is always working in us and through us. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want people who do not currently know God to come and encounter him. It's such good news that we shouldn't keep it for ourselves. Every part of our life should flow out into telling others about who Jesus is, whether that is through our words or through our actions, through our distinct lives, that can and will happen. So we need to dare to be distinct as we live our lives exclusively for God in the knowledge that he is with us and that he is working through us.